FA Retina AMD study group assessed approximately 23,000 patients with wet AMD who had received at least one dose of fericimab. What have they found? I'm Scott Criswanis, and I'm here with Greg Notstein, and you're listening to New Retina Radio from Retina Today and Brynmark Communications. Dr. Sophie Bakri summarizes the findings from an IRIS registry review, which uncovered data about who has been dosed with fericimab, how frequently extended dosing intervals have been achieved, and whether real-world safety issues have cropped up. And Dr. Carl Chalky offers a glimpse into the future of geographic atrophy care. Are any budding technologies better able to assess structure and function in GA patients? Keep it here to find out. Fericimab was approved in January 2022, and many retina specialists integrated it into their wet AMD protocols as soon as they got their hands on it. Several studies have tried to characterize the real-world outcomes and treatment patterns tied to fericimab with wet AMD. Dr. Sophie Bakri is going to help us explore one of those studies today. Dr. Bakri is the chair of ophthalmology at the Mayo Clinic. Dr. Bakri, welcome to New Retina Radio. Thank you. I mentioned that there's a handful of studies exploring the real-world outcomes of patients with wet AMD who were treated with fericimab. What are those studies, and how is the study that you presented distinct from those other studies? So there have been several studies done um, on fericimab. There was the uh, Truckee study, for example, which was an independent physician-led real-world study. There was another study by Dr. Lung and colleagues that was similar to the Truckee, but looked at treatment-resistant patients uh, with wet AMD. And there was the Voyager study, which was a prospective study of fericimab and uh, the uh, uh, port delivery system uh, for wet AMD. Now, in the FA Retina study, we used the Academy's uh, IRIS uh, registry as our uh, data source. Give us a refresher on the IRIS registry. So uh, the IRIS stands for Intelligent Research Insight. Um, it's a registry that's run by the American Academy of Ophthalmology. There are 540 million de-identified patient encounters uh, in this uh, registry and over 75 million de-identified unique patients. 16,000 uh, clinicians have contributed data, and that comes from 60 electronic medical record systems across the United States. So we have a lot of diagnosis codes. Um, you know, In the uh, IRIS registry, we have visual acuities that were reported. Um, we have a subset of patients who have imaging, uh, but that's just uh, a subset. So there's a lot of data in the IRIS registry. How did you and your colleagues in the FA Retina AMD study begin to pare down who you wanted to study? Yes. So as with every study, we look at our inclusion uh, criteria. And here we looked for patients with a documented diagnosis of uh, age-related macular degeneration. Uh, patients should have had one or more fericimab injections from February 2022 up till the date of June 2023. We look for patients with six months or more of follow-up. And also they should have had two or more best documented visual acuity uh, measures uh, either on or after the first fericimab injection. After applying all these inclusion criteria, how many patients were you able to ultimately analyze? So there were about 80,000 patients uh, total and 104,000 eyes uh, within that uh, time frame. And 
we ended up with 27,500 eyes approximately that fits uh, our criteria. And uh, within that, we had patients who were previously treated and patients who were treatment naive. And the great majority, 93% of patients in our study had been previously treated with anti-VEGF therapy. Well, then let's start with those previously treated patients. What did you and your colleagues find? With the previously uh, treated uh, patients, uh, what we found is that in the last 12 months prior to uh, the start date of our study, they had received approximately seven anti-VEGF injections. And the last interval on average was about six weeks uh, apart. The majority, about 66%, had received aflibercept. Approximately 20% had received ranibizumab and 10% had received uh, bevacizumab. Part of the theoretical benefit of ferisimab is that eyes can extend to longer treatment intervals. I'd like to hear how quickly real-world eyes in FA retina AMD achieved an extended dosing schedule. So more than 50% of the eyes with wet AMD that we studied achieved an extended ferisimab interval defined as uh, greater than six weeks within two initial injections of ferisimab. Faster drying is another theoretical benefit to ferisimab, given that the molecule can inhibit ANG2. What were the drying outcomes? Most of the patients initiated ferisimab with uh, 2040 uh, or better vision. Now, in terms of the drying, uh, we found that in previously uh, treated uh, eyes, the fluid uh, declined. Um, at three months and six months. And so, for example, the baseline uh, central subfoveal um, thickness was 296 microns. And then at six months, it reduced to 274 microns. Now, in treatment naive eyes, the fluid also declined. So the baseline for that was 315 microns. And at six months, it reduced to 266 uh, microns. You look specifically at patients that had at least four visual acuity records in this study. Did anything stand out among that group? So in terms of uh, visual acuities, um, the previously treated eyes maintained vision from their first furosemab injection, but yet the treatment naive eyes improved vision over the course of uh, the injection series. What about safety? Were there any unexpected issues that cropped up in the real world? So the issues were similar to what we had seen in previous clinical trials. Uh, the endophthalmitis rate was low at about 0.05%. And this study is ongoing. What's next for FA Retina AMD? So I, we're going to look at you know several other uh, parameters um, and uh, uh, perhaps expand uh, the uh, safety study uh, as well. And um, uh, there will always be subgroup analyses as well that will uh, pop up that will be interesting. All right. Well, we look forward to hearing them. Dr. Bakri, thank you for joining us on New Retina Radio. All right. Thank you. Retina specialists now have what they've been asking for for decades an FDA-approved treatment for geographic atrophy. In fact, there are two treatments that are in the clinic. And now the question becomes, how do we follow patients who are being dosed with therapies that address GA? Dr. Carl Chalky has a few ideas. He shared them at AAO 2023, and he's joining us today to discuss them further. 
Dr. Chalky is the chief executive and medical officer for the Retina Foundation of the Southwest, which is in Dallas. Dr. Chalky, welcome back to New Retina Radio. Well, thank you, Scott and Greg. It's a pleasure to be back again. Your presentation reviewed not only the recent pivotal studies for Cyfovri and Iservay, but it also looked at the Lampalizumab program. This program didn't lead to a viable candidate, but it did shed a lot of light on how GA progresses. Give our listeners a top-line review of what you found when reviewing those studies. Correct. Well, the basis for the approval of both of these agents was really from 2007, uh, a symposium that I ran with the FDA in which we had data to support um, the use of expansion of geographic atrophy as seen by fundus autofluorescence, and that as that area expanded, uh, patients historically without treatment uh, eventually lost vision. And so the FDA said, if you have a drug that slowed that process down, it could be the basis for approval. And that's in fact what happened with the various clinical trials with Zyvofri and Iserve, Derby, Oaks, Gather 1 and Gather 2, all of which showed a reduction in the rate of expansion of geographic atrophy. However, while the anatomic endpoints were met and hence the drugs were approved, the interesting thing was that none of the primary visual function endpoints showed any difference between patients treated with these various agents and patients on placebo. And so that raises lots of questions. And so to help begin to explore the reasons behind this potentially, as well as hopefully helping us decide which patients should be treated and who we should be following and how we should follow them if we decide to treat, we went back and started gathering some additional data. And I summarized in some of the early parts of the presentation work that Usha Chakravarti had done in looking at the lampalizumab study. And essentially she found that among natural history patients, it was those that had unifocal lesions that were subfovial, but was still relatively good vision, in which the growth rates of the GA correlated very strongly with vision loss. But conversely, other types of GA lesions, multifocal in particular, and those unifocals that were not subfovial, the growth rates did not necessarily correlate that strongly with vision loss rates. So it brings up the specter that we have to be cognizant of that there are a select group of patients that are at highest risk for losing a vision. And these potentially are the patients we want to be treating. What clinical recommendations or treatment strategies might you suggest to your colleagues when they identify a patient with unifocal and subfovial GA? Well, as I said, these are the patients that we think are at the highest risk for losing significant vision. And so I do think that there should be strong consideration 
for treatment in these patients. Now, of course, that has to be weighed by the potential side effect profile of these agents, whether this is the first eye or the second eye. So there are other things that have to be taken into account, but clearly those groups of patients who still have relatively good vision, but have their GA poised close to the fovea and are most likely to lose visions are the ones that I think will benefit the most from delaying that vision loss rate. During your talk, you reviewed a handful of functional assessments for GA patients. Tell us about those. Well, as I said, the primary outcomes of these various phase three trials were somewhat limited. We were using standard best corrected visual acuity, low luminance visual acuity, as well as fairly generic microperimetry assessments. And so what I presented was some newer ways to assess vision function in all our retina patients, but particularly as it pertains to patients with geographic atrophy. Our group has published extensively on the use of newer automated ways to measure contrast sensitivity under both normal and low luminance conditions. And we demonstrated that there was a very nice correlation in the results as patients developed more severe disease, suggesting that this might be a little bit more sensitive in dry AMD patients. And in fact, it's now being incorporated into several ongoing clinical trials. Can you talk to us about a few of the specific modalities that you reviewed during your talk? So the other approach that we've been talking about is use of better approaches to measure retinal sensitivities. Microperimetry has been around for a while. It was used in the Oak study, for example, and the primary outcomes did not show a difference, but in a post-hoc retrospective analysis, there did seem to be some differences, but again, it was very difficult to tease out. Part of that problem is that the way we uh, apply microperimetry historically is in a very generic fashion. And so what we've been doing in our clinic is using what we call focal microperimetry. And it's actually focal high density microperimetry where we can interrogate the fovea with 42 spots in a very dense pattern with small spot sizes. And we are in the process of using this to more further analyze the effects of these treatments on cone function, particularly in the fovea, which is what's most important for patients. Let's expand upon that. So you introduced this assessment that many listeners aren't familiar with, the central macular cone sensitivity testing. What is it and then what does it measure? So we are trying to figure out what effect does dry AMD have on cone function? And of course, more importantly, what effect could these treatments have on preserving some of that cone function? And so by using these very dense array of spots, which surprisingly takes very little time, on average, we showed that the imaging time for generating these tests are about four to five minutes per eye. So it's very quick. Patients actually like doing that because they can concentrate 
and we're assessing all of their function right in the center. And by using a cone-specific stimuli, we can hopefully tease out a better signal as it relates to these therapies. And in fact, how are patients responding? So we're still early in this process, but from a practical perspective and from utility, it's something that could be applied in the future to the clinic. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about that because it sounds like, as you pointed out, these are newer, maybe uh, providers aren't as familiar with them. Are these going to be used more for research purposes? Are they purely academic? Or do you see a utility in a busy run-of-the-mill retina clinic? Well, I think like all of our technologies, you know, they all began as research projects. OCT was essentially a research project many years ago. And of course, now it's become standard practice. So I think part of our challenge as we develop this technology is to answer questions first on the academic side. How sensitive is it? How does it predict? Is it really measuring something that these treatments affect? And as such, will it provide additional value to clinicians in a day-to-day practice as they are start using both these agents and future agents for dry AMD? So it's clear that visual acuity as a standard measure is most likely inadequate. And so we will need to develop additional functional tools to use in dry AMD patients as we start to use these technologies that are approved in future technologies. Part of what drew us to your talk was that it didn't follow the conventional structure of a talk during subspecialty day, right? There wasn't a study where there was some methods and that the that the arms were well balanced at the beginning and then there were outcomes. So I'm curious if you can give for our listeners one or two clear take-home points, either about how they can change their practice now or what they might be expecting in the future, given that there are all these uh, different functional modalities that are being explored. Well, I think what we need to understand is that we're only at the very beginning of this process of having therapies for patients with dry AMD. And so we have to avoid this idea that every patient that walks in our clinic who has some degree of geographic atrophy should be treated. I think we need to be a little bit discerning and understanding who might potentially benefit the most as well as recognizing that we still don't really have the tools to understand if somebody is responding or if somebody is not. Unlike OCT and anti-VEGF, we have a very good readout from visit to visit as to what our therapies are doing. Can we modify those therapies? We don't have those yet. And so I think for now, the most important message is recognizing that we are still somewhat limited And we have to be aware that not everybody who has geographic atrophy necessarily needs therapy right away. And more data will come and hopefully educate us as to who to treat right away, who we can wait on. And most importantly, how are we going to end up following these patients? We just don't have that data yet that gives us that clear feedback as to how to follow these patients 
And so as such, I think we need to have some discernment and recognizing the limitations of these therapies at present. Fair enough. Well, Dr. Chonky, thanks for helping us navigate this brave new world of GA therapy. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode. Thanks for sticking with us. We have one more episode of AAO 2023 coverage, so be sure to stick around. Be sure to subscribe to New Retina Radio on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever tickles your fancy. But keep it here to get more episodes in the near future.